Hi, welcome back to Typecast Heroes, where we believe typology can save the world. I'm Amanda Fogelson. And I'm Jesse Miller, and today we are releasing more of the data that was collected on the 16 types in the education system. So this has been a long time coming, and today we are focusing on the ENFP. And for those of you who don't know, Amanda is an ENFP, so she will be looking at it from that perspective as well. So we're lucky to have her. So the project. When did feelers start? So in summer of 2020, the data collection began on the feeler portion of the 16 MBTI types. So ENFPs are a little more prevalent of the intuitives. They're about 8% of the overall population of the world. And so it was not quite as challenging to collect all of the ENFPs as it is for some of the other types. Getting them to finish the interview was a little bit of a bear. Uh, the interview process was five questions long, um, five questions for in-depth process, in-depth questions, <laughs> and then five for basic intake. And a lot of them answered intake within the first you know, two minutes of me contacting them. And then sometimes it would be months or weeks <laughs> later before or I never. collect or never. <laughs> there are probably more ENFP interviews that aren't finished than I have finished. But officially in the system, there was 101 ENFPs who made it in, um, and so I'm going to be describing some of the data for the basic intake, and then we'll be going over the questions, and at the end, we'll be talking about the implications for the education system. So, of the ENFPs who presented, who participated, there were 38% male, 62% female, um, so they're a little more even than some of the other types. Some of the other types, like thinkers, it seems to be very prevalent, heavy male. Some of the other feeler types is very heavily female, but this is a little more even. Um, as far as age breakdown goes, Amanda and I were just talking about this before we started recording. Uh, ENFPs were a little more skewed towards their 30s and 40s. About half of them were over 30. Um, actually, more than that. That is what? It's about 60. Yeah. About 60% mm -hmm. were over 30, which is interesting because some of the more introverted types, um, they really skewed towards the younger age. Um, and there are a bunch of reasons for that, but uh, Amanda and I were talking about how extroverts may not necessarily look internally. They may not know their MBTI type or find a need for MBTI until later on in their life because that's when extroverts really start introverting. Mm -hmm. um, for the location, some of the other types had a lot of more varied location, mm -hmm. but for this particular MBTI type, ENFPs, nearly half of them came from the United States. So this was very heavy United States focused. Um, and a large portion was also from the United Kingdom and Canada. But I did have quite a number participate from Asia. So from India or the Philippines, um, Malaysia, Indonesia. So there were a variety of people represented mm -hmm. from all over the globe. So the first question that I asked them after their basic intake was I looked at a stereotype for each of the 16 types and it was a negative stereotype. What I was looking at was not necessarily whether or not the person agreed with the type that that was anecdotally interesting. I was looking at more how they examined themselves, how they argued a negative image of themselves and how they structured that argument. So I'm not looking at what they said, I'm looking at how they said it. And I said that phrase so many times as I was interviewing people, I'd say, I'm not looking at what you say, I'm looking at how you say it. Um, so for ENFPs, the stereotype that I presented to them was, um, ENFPs hold a wide variety of interests and this sometimes affects their ability to go really in depth to a topic. How do you personally view your depth in consideration to your interests? So there's a kind of a meme about ENFPs that they're like butterflies, that they just like float around and they're just like of the intuitives. They're usually the ones who are considered like the least deep or something. Like they're the most like airheady, right? Flighty, yeah. thank you. That's a great Squirrely. word. Squirrely. Yes. <laughs> so I was interested to see how ENFPs saw themselves in light of that. Um, so I was asking them to look at themselves. One of the things that this project came into criticism very early on, and I will probably repeat this in all of the podcasts, but was the confirmation bias. Like, how do you know that people aren't just answering you for your type? <laughs> Remember, I'm not just looking at um, what they said. So in this instance, it was interesting because 89% of ENFPs said that stereotype is me. Whether or not that's confirmation bias, I can't say. But what I did find was interesting was how they addressed this topic. 
One of the things that you would think with an extroverted perceiver is that they wouldn't hold strong opinions. That was something that is pretty prevalent that ENFPs are supposed to be some of the most open-minded um, or may not have a strong opinion right away. Mm -hmm. um, but 80% of the ENFPs that I talked to felt very, very strongly one way or the other. And they had very high emotionally connotative language. So what that means is there was a lot of superlatives like, we are the most this, or we are always this, or we are the best, or this is extremely this, or really this. There was lots of these qualifiers and adjectives added on to all of their opinions because it wasn't just, I disagree, I hate this, this is the worst opinion ever, or no, I strongly resonate with this. It was very much, um, there wasn't a whole lot of middle ground mm -hmm. with their answers, which is a different way to approach a question because there are other types who would approach it from a very unemotional place. Right. So this is not necessarily saying they're super emotional. Mm -hmm. It's just saying that their language is indicative of more emotive, emotional meaning, which is interesting. And that was something that would not be confirmed by type confirmation. Right. Methods. Because again, that's how you're saying it, not what you're actually saying. Mm -hmm. um, something that I thought was interesting is I examined for all of the types how often they use the word think versus how often they use the word feel. Because even if you are using English as a second language, there are implications attached to those two different um, word choices. And then I also looked at believe. It was interesting to me that ENFPs, far more of them used I think than I feel. Um, almost always, it was almost two to one. Um, I think this versus I feel this. And when they were answering a question, they would always present it that way. I think this, this is my opinion, here you go to about whatever it is you are asking. Other types don't do that so much. They have, they're more separated from the question. Um, and when they were addressing this stereotype, when they were presented with this, they jumped from personal experience. 96% um, as far as like arguing goes, whether or not they agreed or disagreed with the stereotype, 96% of them pulled from their personal experience. That seems like it should be common sense. When you ask a person to give an opinion about themselves or to address an opinion about themselves, that the person should pull from personal experience. But if you listen to the rest of the podcast, others types don't mm -hmm. do that. Um, and it was actually kind of surprising with ENFPs because um, ENFPs lead with extroverted intuition, which is all about big picture. But they were pulling from personal experience first and then from their personal experience they were projecting Working this out mm -hmm. into a bigger picture so they would say something like this is my experience with going in depth with a topic mm -hmm. this is why i think this was my experience so i really was passionate about something i bet all enfps would feel this way so it was like my experience and then blew it up mm -hmm. into a bigger opinion um which was interesting ENFPs also, in general, had a larger, one of the things that I tracked was how long they spent on a question, like how many words they used. Um, and ENFPs of all of the 16 types had more, like had a much higher average than most of the others to explain themselves. Um, Amanda and I have talked about this before with extroverts needing to talk out their ideas. Mm -hmm. So this was a, a theory we had that they would take longer to get to their opinion. So it would be like, I don't really know what I think about this. I'm going to go to my experiences. Then I'm going to like slowly get to where I have my opinion at the end. Or some other types would just think about it in their head and then give you the answer. It was almost like ENFPs would talk it out, like type it out to you yes. as they were figuring out their answer. Yes. Um, one of the things with this project that's really cool when you go check out the blog where all the charts and data and everything and there's a all of my explanations are written like pretty in depth. You can also go look at the uh, word clouds. So I couldn't publish the words or I'm sorry, I couldn't publish the interviews verbatim because of privacy laws. What I could do was I put them all into a word cloud generator and you can go look at all of the words that were used in the answers. And the ones that are the most common are the biggest and then it goes down to the smallest. But if you go and you look at um, like ENFPs, they had stuff like LOL, <laughs> ha ha, oh, like, um, and like the ellipses, like the dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. Whereas other types would not have those. 
So Amanda's exactly right. They were using this to think out loud. Like they were typing and they were just like stream of consciousness right. typing. The big takeaway for that is when they were arguing or when they were pushing an argument, um, they came from a personal place and projected it outward. And their examples or the things that they gave to argue were mostly personal anecdotal experience. So they weren't listing a bunch of facts. They weren't listing a bunch of um, theories. You weren't mm -hmm. going to see a, a philosopher necessarily in there. You were going to see, this is how I see it. This is what I've been through. So we're going to talk about their metacognitive properties. So this is my favorite question. Um, and it was not a question. I need to stop saying that. A directive. Right. So I would tell them to describe the inside of your mind. And that's all I gave. And this is my favorite type because I wasn't really sure what I was going to get when I asked this question. And I've got, like, it has been absolutely amazing to see the way that different types address their thinking process. So, um... There are six categories that I gave for answers. So the first one was, um, was it possible? So aphantasia is a condition where you actually can't visualize the inside of your mind. And some types seem to have it pretty heavily, some types not at all. ENFPs are the not at all. Only 2% said they weren't unable to describe the inside of their mind. Most of them, which is what you would expect with extrovert intuition, mm -hmm. is what this project has basically shown. The extrovert intuitives are really good at mentally capturing an experience or their opinions or an image, uh, whereas other types are not so much. Um, they really liked this question. So it was 117 average word length for ENFPs, um, which is a lot. Their That's answers lot. were the longest. Yeah. I don't want to say by far because the, some of the other types, some of the other intuitive types wrote a lot, but this is definitely one of the more um, wordy or verbose explanations for the inside of their mind. Um, so if they could, there were five categories for if they could describe the inside of their mind. So the first one is abstract descriptive. So that's when they would tell me things like there are ideas floating around and they will connect and they'll string together. Or it is um, a giant web of feelings and emotions and colors and they would just give me a lot of abstractions. Like things that you couldn't, you could kind of picture it in your mind and you could tell that they understood it really mm -hmm. well. But it was very abstract. There was not, it was far more on the abstract side than the concrete reality. Um, and about 20% of uh, ENFPs were, fell in that category. Um, one of the other categories is process. So they will tell you how, what your brain does. So they'll say, I analyze information. I daydream. I imagine things. And they wouldn't tell you what they were imagining, what they're problem solving, or what they were daydreaming about. They would just say, this is what I do. And that's process. Um, I see that in a lot of answers across all types. Self-descriptive is when they don't really describe the inside of their mind. They don't try to, but they will say something about themselves. So like, I'm imaginative, or I like learning, I like reading, um, I like sports. They would describe themselves as a stand-in for their brain. And I saw that a lot more with younger extroverts. So extroverts who are in their 20s, early 20s, I mm -hmm. saw that often. Um, and then the last category is commonly used phrase. So this is when I would get something that was really short and it was very common. So it was almost like cliche to an extent, mm -hmm. um, like a filing cabinet, the end, or um, a web browser, the end. So this is nothing against those people who use those answers, but it was a very stark difference of who likes to play in abstract land versus who likes to play in concrete reality. And the ENFPs only 4% use commonly used phrases. So they really like the abstract land. Um, so of all of the ENFPs, um, only 4% use common phrases or were unable. So together, less than 10% of ENFPs did not enjoy this question. Most of them really liked talking about this. Um, almost half of them were in an abstract description or concrete metaphor, which I did not describe. Um, the fifth category, I'm sorry, is the metaphorical memory palaces. So it's like when they will describe a landscape. So one of the most common ones that I got was like a library mm -hmm. and they would be very descriptive about what the library of their mind looks like. But I also got things like a town that's not on a map and they would explain all of the pieces of the town or they would say like it's a giant meadow and this is all of the creatures and all of the things that live in my mind. Um, I got a circus, like a very detailed description of what the circus was. Uh, those were definitely my personal biased favorite ones to read because I thought they were so creative. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I do almost exclusively see that with extroverted intuitives. Uh, none of the other types use it. Um, or if they do, it is much less involved, which is just an interesting thing to see. So about half of them lived in abstract descriptions or those concrete um, memory palaces like I just talked about. So about half, which is interesting. And as we are going to see when we move along, that's going to have big implications for the education system because metacognition or thinking about how you think is a big deal in education because you're supposed to be able to prove you know how you're supposed to be able to show what you know and show how you mm -hmm. got there. And if you are able to do that, you're at an automatic advantage versus those who cannot or who cannot articulate it quite as well. So if you are able to visualize all of these things in your head, it is a lot easier to remember things and to keep things in perspective when you are in the education system. So we're going to be discussing that later on with the implications. All right, so the third question was, what is your take on formal education? And I asked it just like that. So what I was curious about is whether or not, one of the things that I was curious about was, um, first off, overall, is the system good or bad? Um, I was also looking at how did they argue? So not just what they said, but how they said it. So how did they argue this point? Um, were they looking at relevant facts? Were they looking at emotional appeals, we're looking at personal experience. How did they reach their conclusions that they got? One thing we talked about in our other videos is that reverse memory process where ENFPs or extroverted intuitives in general may not recognize themselves until they see themselves out in the world. So when they're asked to provide an opinion, sometimes they have to work backwards from that place. So they'll say, okay, formal education, let me put myself in this and then I will tell you, I will get to my conclusion. Um, it's also interesting because the introverted individuals who use extrovert intuition almost always went big picture in, but something across the board with extroverts is they went like personal experience out, which is really backwards. It's so backwards. But, um, it's happened over and over again. So, uh, only 22% discussed big, big picture first and only 45%, less than half discuss big picture at all when asked that question. Most of it was personal experience. So that's very interesting, um, I think. Uh, one of the other things that this data presented was the commonly used phrases or words. So I ran all of these words through programs to find the commonly used words and phrases. Um, and again, you can go look at the blog for all of this detailed information, but just to cover up some of the, or to touch on some of the highlights. Um, for ENFPs, the words necessary, important, or valuable were used in over a third of the answers when I asked them about the education system, which is not, it's not uh, matched in the other types. Um, ENFPs of all the intuitives definitely seem to have a much more positive view of education mm -hmm. versus the other types. And there are a couple of reasons we think why this is the case, and we'll be talking about that in a second. When we looked at their answers, um, 18% of their answers included some derivative of the word perform, performance or performing, um, and specifically their performance, mm -hmm. uh, which was really interesting because if you look at some of the other types, that's perform is not there in anyone's answer. Uh, to, so, to see it at such a high percentage level was very interesting. Uh, not only was perform big for them, but also was um, exam or test, which is another type of performance mm -hmm. uh, that was at 18%, um, a lot, and then also GPA was in a very small, but GPA was mentioned in 3% mm -hmm. of the answers, but that's something that was not, again, something with education, not mm -hmm. mentioned at all in other types, but was mentioned with the NFPs. Other things with the NFPs was time, was mentioned in about a quarter of all answers, which is unexpected. They talked a lot about how much time it took to be in education. Uh, time seems to be something that intuitives focus on a lot, mm -hmm. uh, which is interesting to me. 80% of ENFPs had opinions very strongly about themselves, and we will see that they've got strong opinions about other things. But when it comes to education, they were less decisive than other types. 13% um, had an opinion that really wasn't strong one way or the other, which was interesting. Like they would have a very like visceral personal experience, so they mm -hmm. talk about their personal experience, and that would be highly emotional. But when they extended outward, if they chose to extend outward, it would be kind of like, I don't really, I don't really feel one way or the other. Like, I'm not really tied to this. 
But overall, they did seem to like education better with 56% saying it was good, 30% saying it was very strongly bad, and then, like I said, 13% not really one or the other, uh, which is, for intuitives, it's a lot more positive yeah. than the other intuitive types. They also used a lot of, I think, uh, pretty commonly, like I mentioned earlier, I think was over a third of all of their answers to justify it. They were very clearly claiming their opinions. Um, these are mine. These are my opinions. These are my ideas that I'm giving you. Instead of listing it out as just like, this is the general yes. idea, or this is the general fact, or this is how it is broad spectrum. It was more just... Yep, personal. Very personal, um, which was incredibly interesting. And again, implications in just a mm -hmm. second. So the fourth question um, was a tricky question. I asked it so many times to I, thousands of times, literally. Um, and it was a two-part question, and I was always interested in which part people gravitated toward and how they argued this. So I asked, if someone wanted to convince you to do something that you are morally against, how would they do so? And how do you define your moral code? So the reason and the rationale behind asking this question was because in the United States in particular, there are a lot of religious barriers in education. A lot of people uh, fight education system because of religious reasons. Um, or in the name of religious outrage, and I was curious if I could find an association with type. So I've asked them to look at themselves, I've asked them to look at their thought process, um, I've asked them to look at a logical, concrete thing like the education system and to explain their opinions on that, and now I'm asking them to look at something very abstract mm -hmm. and very metaphysical, like a moral system, and to explain that. So I'm looking at the ways that they explain, not just what they say. So I was curious, one of the things, if they saw themselves as open-minded or closed-minded, um, because ENFPs, again, are supposed to be some of the most open-minded types. Um, most of them didn't say one way or the other, they didn't define themselves, um, but 27%, so rough, about a third, thought that they were open-minded, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I also looked at whether or not it was possible for them to go against their moral code. Um, and so most ENFPs said yes, 69% uh, said they could go against the moral code. Um, and 29% said no. And then I, something else that was interesting is certain types, when I was asked this question, they would almost get like morally outraged. Like they'd get really upset or kind of like offended that I asked how this could be done. And so that then I would get a lot of like exclamation points in that very strong emotionally connotative language like I was talking about earlier. Um, and ENFPs had that also about 10% of them got really charged up by this. <laughs> so it was more, it was less than other types mm -hmm. did, um, but it was enough to show some significance. Like they were showing this emotional connection to why would you suggest this? Why would you make this suggestion? Um, if they said that they could be morally convinced, um, some of them said they gave emotional reasons, some of them gave logical reasons, some of them gave both. Um, but for ENFPs, only 3% said logic would change their mind. Um, and then 20% said emotion would. Makes sense, right? Totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, I also looked at, was their answer more focused on the greater good or personal values? Because extroverted feeling, this was one of the very first conclusions uh, I reached last summer was that extroverted feeling would probably be more concerned with the greater good versus introverted feeling, which would be more concerned with personal values. That should just be the case because of how cognitive functions work. Um, and with ENFPs, that was the case. Only 7% said anything regarding the greater good. 62% made reference to their own value systems and their personal systems. And it was very clearly like, this is my system. This is my belief. Um, and then also they I considered whether or not they use abstract or concrete examples. Um, so again, a lot of them are pulling from personal experience. So they're not using those logical systems that I've seen other types do to argue this. They were very much using, this is my value system. This is the way that I could be swayed or couldn't be swayed. And they were using a pretty even mix of abstract and concrete examples. So mm -hmm. for instance, some ENFPs would say, um, I have a very strong moral code, but I could be swayed if it was in the name of my freedom or if it was in the name of my peace, protecting mm -hmm. my peace. Or So that would be an abstract example of when they would sway from the moral code. 
They could also have concrete examples like, I would do this to protect my family, or I would do this to provide stability for my family. So when they were arguing, they came at it from a place of my personal system, my personal beliefs, and then they were using a mix of concrete versus abstracts. Other types, not so much of a mix, not so much of their personal systems. Mm -hmm. So we're going to keep all of this in mind when we look at how would they function then, how would such a person function in an education system. The last question was to describe your relationship with your intuition. So this was a, type, a question that got asked to all of the intuitives. Um, I wanted them to define intuition. What I was looking for, my rationale was, I was like, looking at a, another way of thinking. So intuition, it's not from the metaphysical realm. It's not the logical formal education type of argument that they would make. It's not really looking at themselves. It's another level of metacognition. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I reach my conclusions that I reach? Um, 70% of ENFPs said that they trusted their intuition implicitly. Like they, they trusted it 100% of the time. They just went with their gut, um, which is interesting because introverted feeling, which is their second process, is really the thing that should be associated with going with your gut. So it makes sense that they would trust their intuition over some of the other intuitive types. Mm -hmm. Which, again, this is like going back to the confirmation bias. This is kind of proof that they're... There didn't seem to be a lot of that in this mm -hmm. because when you say intuition, um, the general population is going to think of gut feelings mm -hmm. and what your instincts are. Um, but really, when it comes down to cognitive functions, those gut feelings live within introverted mm -hmm. feeling, not intuition. So that just goes to show that they were relating the term intuition as their gut feelings. Mm -hmm. Even though it was, um, it's not necessarily accurate according mm -hmm. to cognitive functions. Um Something that I thought was interesting is ENFPs love describing their mind. They had a lot of fun doing that. Um, they liked talking about their ethical um, and abstract beliefs, which makes sense mm -hmm. with their introverted feeling process. They even like talking about like their own experience in the education system. A lot of them had a lot to say. But when I asked them this, to describe their relationship with intuition, this was by far the shortest answer. And it's a big difference. I mean, so they had over 100 words average for the describe the inside of your mind question and for the formal education system and for their ethical belief systems. But when asked to describe their intuition, it was 68. Such a significant That's a big difference. difference. And so Amanda and I were talking about this earlier and she is as an ENFP believes that it could be because. Um, it just comes down to the fact that you trust your intuition. You just trust your gut. And there's really when you trust your gut and when you're an ENFP and you're, you've lived in the society that we live in so often, you don't really feel the need to back it up because you don't feel understood in that way a lot of times either. So you eventually learn. And if you look at the data, we did have older ENFPs, like thirties, you know, mm -hmm. was a majority over 30. And so at that point, you're kind of tired of describing why you trust your gut. Um, but majority of ENFPs would just trust it and not really mm -hmm. question it. So it was, it was, an easy answer. It could mm -hmm. be simple. And it was also the last question, which is yeah. something I've thought about too, because if they spent 117, if they've written, what would that be? Like 400 words so far. And they're, they're probably like, done. this one's easy. Yeah, they're <laughs> like, we're finished with this. Yes. We're, just, we're ready to go. And whatever they were going to describe, they may have possibly described in their other answers. Right. So I it could be a that, recapping. Yeah. yeah. A lot of them, there was a lot of cross-referencing back. Um, so... When you look at all of the intuitives as a whole, or um, specifically extroverted intuitives, so that would be ENFPs, INTPs, INFPs, and ENTPs, by far, ENFPs seem to have a more positive view of the education system. Their language seemed to be a lot more, um, it trended positively. Their sentiment, if you had to give it a sentiment value, they were very positive with most of these processes actually, um, they, they seem to have had a easier time, not necessarily easier time, but they seem to be in a more positive way mm -hmm. when they examine their themselves, when they examine their thought process, when they examine their moral beliefs, it was all a lot more of a highly connotative, positive lens. And then you take into account that perform aspect and the fact that they were really focused on that, on how they show up and how they present. Mm -hmm. And so it led us to a lot of thought process. So we're going to talk about the implications on the education system based on this data and based on some other studies. So 
I will have listed all of the studies, all of the books, all of the things that I used before and after, because you can Google ENFPs in education and they will tell you about gifted children. So one of the things that we will be discussing with intuitives is there was a big study done in 2004 and almost 10,000 children were given the MBTI test and they looked at gifted children and the, um, and their MBTI type over half of those children who were gifted had extroverted intuition. So that's a huge number of, so an extroverted intuitives are only, what is that? That is less than, less than 13% mm -hmm. of the population, less than 15% of the population. Mm -hmm. So they were less than 15% of the population of students, but they represented half of the gifted kids. Gifted uh, system in the United States is very problematic. It's very um, complicated, it has a lot of issues. One of the things that it does show is it indicates a difference. Mm -hmm. Like it, in, it is a noted step made by the education system to say this group of children is different. This group of children is special. They learn differently. So we, we acknowledge that. We understand that. And again, over half of them were extroverted intuitives. So when you are a child in the education system and you lead with extroverted intuition, you, we may not know the rest of your type. In fact, I will not type children at all. Uh, Carl Jung did not push typing anybody who is a child. Um, I won't do it because their type is not full. Like they have not fully come into themselves yet. It's still developing. Yeah. What you can see is you can see that first process. The first and second, if you're in, if, if you're looping, you can actually already be developing loops depending on like trauma or what may, what have you. And so you could be going between your first and your third or your first and your second or you, those are pretty much what we see. So children who are coming up through the system, you can see that extroverted intuition process mm -hmm. pretty strongly in an ENFP from a young age because they want to know lots of information. They're very curious. They're very inquisitive. So one of the things that I've seen with ENFPs for ch as they are children is they have, you guys have trouble with deadlines. Oh, I still do. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. And maintaining dates. And sometimes that can make yeah. concrete goals really challenging. Yep. So Procrastination. For, yes. Uh-huh. And so for a kid who is going through the education process and they are trying to learn as much as they can, actually presenting a concrete thing can be a lot of struggle. It's even now it's, it can still be, I'm 29 and it's still, <laughs> it can still be a challenge, but it's because you want to consume. You don't necessarily mm -hmm. want to put out as much, especially at a younger age when you haven't been fully developed yet. Like you haven't completed that process and you're not using your third and fourth functions as much. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that, Amanda and I've been talking about why do ENFPs seem to do so much better in the education system than the other expert intuitives? Because um, INFPs do really well as well, but ENFPs seem to really just overwhelmingly have a stronger positive thing. And so their third function um, is extroverted thinking. Types develop probably more often they develop between their first and their third than they do the first and their second. Mm -hmm. Because if you're extroverted and nothing has really ever happened to you to make you be particularly introverted, particularly an extroverted perceiver, you're going to loop between those two functions. So extroverted thinking probably does better as a child function in a structured environment, which mm -hmm. is probably why they tend to do better in education. Um, additionally, there's that performance piece. Yeah. Which is also very extroverted thinking, right? It's super extroverted thinking. It's so part of extroverted thinking is, um, is so you want that structure, but there seems to also be this need to be the best mm -hmm. with extroverted thinking. And you can see that in other types who use it in their first and second functions as well. Um, or really, really the first and third. Those mm -hmm. extroverted users just want, they because they want to know that what they're putting out there is good. They need that acknowledgement from their environment that what they're doing is good. So TE child does tend to want to be the best is what we see across anybody who's, any extrovert really, who's using TE. Um, and so when we saw the word performance come up, um, again, I think that it might, that might not be something that you would expect from ENFPs as much. Um, 
but I resonated with it on a personal level because I have always wanted to be the best. And anything that I spend my time and my energy on, which again, time came up as well. If I'm spending my time and my energy on something, I want the proof that it was worth it. And so that performance meant a lot to me. Being a straight A student meant a lot to me. Um, on the flip side, I think probably where FI could come in um, is more about also that recognition. So seeing, so even though you're not maybe introspecting as a child as much, I think that recognition for saying I I did good and and I hear that and that you you kind of, you're acknowledged, like you get acknowledged for the work that you've done. And so I, I don't think it's so much as an, an introspective process when you're a child and you're in the education system, but I still think that it's important to acknowledge the people who are putting their time and energy out there. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that I think is a challenge for ENFPs is we were talking about that reverse memory process and like how when consistently when I'd ask a question, They'd pull from their personal experience first and go outward. ENFPs are all about experience. They want those experiences. And as a child, they may not have them. Right. And so when you ask a child their opinion on something, or if you are giving them a prompt and it can be really open-ended, ENFPs can have really vibrant, beautiful imaginations like we referenced with all of their mental descriptions of how the inside of their mind presents. But... They may not know what they feel about certain things because they don't have that experience and their imagination is limited. Mm -hmm. So ENFPs, we will talk about this often, like they want to go out and do things. And as a child, they may not have yet done it. So I think that can be a big difference with why some ENFPs do beautifully in the system and some don't, and that's the same for all types. But I do think that that is a big defining difference is that some ENFPs are kind of encouraged to learn as much as they can and their curiosity is fostered. Mm -hmm. And then some ENFPs, it's not. And they're seen more as the flighty ones, the ones who can't finish anything. They're probably the ones who are more equal on type development. So they're probably the one to type. So they are learning information, but it may not have such a wide um, expanse of knowledge. And so their introverted feeling process is also developing and they may have difficulty in they may not have as much information to consume. And mm -hmm. so that leads to problems like not being able to sit still or getting bored really quickly because if their imagination is not being peaked or if their interest is not being peaked, then they're not going to be doing what they should be mm -hmm. in the classroom. And so then they're relegated to these children can't sit still. Mm -hmm. These children can't turn in assignments on time. And the other ENFPs who had their curiosity, like, engaged with and who were given the opportunity to learn a lot of things they probably did a lot better because they were able to do what they loved which was to explore and to be given lots of new information mm -hmm. so i do think those are the two big differences with enfps and when remember when i was talking about how they described their experience all of them talked about their personal experience but it was a pretty even split between bad experiences and good experiences that's all personal but it's all personal, mm -hmm. and I think it really does come from the fact that some were engaged with and some were not. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that we will not be really talking about is learning style with MBTI type because that has been covered so many times. If you are interested in that, I've got lots of um, articles linked in the blog. But as a child, we're not really going to be talking about the learning styles and the MBTI correlation because that's already been covered extensively. Mm -hmm. But this next big thing is how the, the children would engage with the teachers. So like I just mentioned, if their curiosity is peaked, if they are given a lot of opportunity to learn, then they will do really well. Teachers have to be looked at though. So social, social emotional learning is a big buzzword in education. And it's like this thing everybody's talking about. Like all the teachers need to be fostering social emotional perspectives. Carl Jung in the 1920s talked about how teachers need to be aware of their own projections. And projections is also another one of those like words that's bandied about and mm -hmm. like kind of almost a cliche nowadays because people don't really understand what they're talking about when they say you're projecting. No, you don't. What are you saying? Like, <laughs> that's not the right use of this word. That doesn't mean what you think it means. <laughs> Projection is when you take something that you 
your thought process, your patterns of behavior that you feel inferior about, and you look at someone who is leading with that process, and you look at them as less than because you don't understand it. So for an ENFP, their leading function is extroverted intuition. But if you look at teachers who are predominantly, and I, again, there are so many studies that I have linked below that you can go look at all of the numbers, and this is all over the world, the people who are predominantly working in education in the classroom are ISTJs, ISFJs, and they have extroverted intuition as their last, their inferior function. So that is a function that as they get older, they make more friends, they make mm -hmm. friends with it, they learn how to engage it. But if they're a young teacher, extroverted intuition can be something that they feel really defensive about. We've got videos on this if you want to go learn more about it. This is not a flaw that's unique to them. Every single person who exists does this all the time, all day long. They are projecting that negative imagery onto the people around them who use the functions that they are not good at. But it's dangerous for a teacher to do this. So particularly if an ENFP is in high school and they've got this really curious, like creative process and they wanna learn all of the things and the ISFJ or ISTJ is in front of them like, read your history book. Like, stop, stop doing this. What are you doing? Because it's something that you know, they may not have fostered in themselves yet. And so they see it as different or other. And if the child has not been identified as gifted, if the gifted program doesn't exist in that country, or if the child is doing things that are not within the lines of education, it can seem really frightening. Mm -hmm. And so then they project that negativity onto the child. And then the child, it becomes part of their self-image. You don't have to know anything about MBTI to know that certain, that sometimes educators struggle with children who are different than them. That is common sense. What MBTI is valuable for is for teachers. They shouldn't be running around typing kids. That's not right. where we will never say that a teacher should type the kids in their classroom and then teach them accordingly. I am super anti that because people don't know what they're doing and they're projecting negative. They're putting kids in boxes they don't need to be in. Yep. But what teachers do need to do is understand themselves and their cognitive processes so that when they react negatively to a child, they can step back and look at themselves and say, this is why it's because you are doing something that is outside the realm of what I'm used to. And that makes me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make me a bad person. That makes me somebody who needs to acknowledge it, understand it, and then try to manage it so that I'm not putting this negativity onto a kid. Which again, across the board, this is a human mm -hmm. flaw. This is a human trait. Every single person will go through this. We go through this on a daily basis, mm -hmm. but we do have the language and the understanding to be able to acknowledge it. We're not perfect, but we can acknowledge it. And I do believe that it has made us better friends, better mm -hmm. partners. Um, we can extend grace way more easily mm -hmm. than, than we have in our past. Um, but something to acknowledge is the fact that as teachers, you all are raising the next generation who's going to rule our world. And I will probably say this in each podcast mm -hmm. because I'm so unbelievably passionate about it, but what you say to these children becomes their inner voice. Like they will carry the things that you say. We were just talking about this before we got on here that I remember one specific moment where a teacher pulled me aside and what she said to me has stuck with me forever. And I'm sure most humans have some sort of moment when they were children where something was said to them when they've carried it and it's become part of what they believe about themselves. Mm -hmm. And so teachers in general, you all have the ability to affect a mass amount of children at one time. And that is such a huge gift, but such a huge responsibility. And to not foster that creativity, to and even further to squash that creativity or to squash that, that, that process, that thinking process um, is so unbelievably dangerous and sad. And that is a lot of responsibility to put on you, but... And ENFPs in general like learning. That is something that they enjoy doing. But if you are a teacher and you're projecting your own anxieties and insecurities onto a kid, that's really detrimental to mm -hmm. them. Something else um, with ENFPs when we are talking about teachers. So not only do some teachers have a tendency to project this anxiety onto the children, ENFPs are not super prevalent in education either. So they are more than other intuitives, particularly uh, in the creative fields. So you're gonna see a lot of ENFP art teachers or dance teachers or um, music or music mm -hmm. or theater. 
Uh, there's a lot of ENFPs in those fields, and again, go you can go look at the numbers. But when it comes to things like history, they're not as represented. They're not as represented, or even mathematics or science. Like you won't see as many ENFPs. They exist, but you're not going to see quite so many. Mm -hmm. So if you have an ENFP child who is, let's say, interested in science, and they may look and not see a teacher who thinks like they do. We encounter this all the time in education. There's all these different facets of what a teacher should look like and how a teacher should help the students. But something that is pretty consistent is if a student never sees a teacher who is like them, and that could be in a bunch of different ways, it, it isolates them from the education system. So ENFPs, if you are someone, I'm gonna push this really hard for intuitives, but intuitives, you need to go into teaching you need to advocate for students and advocate for young you and mm -hmm. go into teaching. Um, I was in a class, I said this in the last podcast, but I'm gonna say it again. I was in a class a couple months ago. Um, there was about 35 people in the class. They made us take the MBTI test, which is hilarious to me. I laugh forever because, <laughs> uh, and um, there were only three people out of that 35 who tested as an intuitive. I don't know what you're doing, intuitives, but come to education because we need you here because children need to see that representation. Mm -hmm. um, so those are some of the issues that children will have. ENFP teachers also can have sometimes struggles in the education system because the education system is really in defiance of y'all's FI. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. So uh, education has, um, there's a lot of, problems this is not that is common sense there are a lot of problems in the education system and everybody always thinks that it's better over there mm -hmm. like there's somewhere that education's better i've interviewed thousands of people from 81 different countries education's not better anywhere else like there may be i suppose there are better systems more suited for certain individuals right but there is no place nowhere where everybody's super happy and super thriving the best like way all the 16 types yes. can't exist in peace and harmony uh -uh. in education anywhere around the world. Not as it currently mm -hmm. stands. So one of the things, yes, intuitives need to go into more teaching, but also teachers need to, the teachers who are currently there, all of the SI dominance, you guys are good. They're, I'm not saying anything against you. I work with you every day and you're great human beings. But I think that there does need to be an understanding that beyond just the fact of, oh, this is a gifted child. This child is special. I'm just going to put them elsewhere like I'm not really gonna try to engage them I'm just gonna say okay that child's hyper intelligent or that child just can't finish anything that child's a procrastinator mm -hmm. like all of those labels that get put on children is really dangerous so understanding those your own your own insecurities and your own deficiencies really yeah at the end of the day everybody has them but it can be really helpful for children and I think it's a big stepping stone of social emotional learning that isn't talked about and that isn't really promoted in the education system. MBTI is really relegated to learning styles, which is covered extensively, mm -hmm. and career uh, development, which is bunk, which yeah. is not real. Mm -hmm. So strongly suggest ENFPs with your strong passion, with your strong FI, with all of your experience that you have, come to the education system and become teachers in the system. And with that, just to tack on that it's like not just the SI dominance like Jesse was saying it's we're talking about you guys because this is the education system and it just so happens to be dominated by SI doms mm -hmm. however you can carry this into your career you can carry this into our politicians you can carry this into music and art you can carry it into when you're an adult and what you're actual existence looks like as an adult as well so if you're at work and you're looking at your manager or as a manager if you're looking down at your employees and you're treating everyone the same and acknowledging them the same way disciplining the same way that's exactly what we're talking about not everyone takes in information the same they don't make decisions they don't they don't see the world the same way so this is across the board and again i only say this because as teachers you guys are raising the next generation and so this it it never ends but it begins with you mm-hmm so we covered teachers, we covered students, um, and then we covered different teachers of the students. But now we're gonna look at um, the next group, which is parents. So if you're a parent, you shouldn't type your children. That is something that I will, I hate saying things like that because you do you, mm -hmm. but typing a child is, is not a, 
The danger is that they'll be put into a box right. that isn't accurate. Or unfair expectations. Mm -hmm. And with all of the other things flying about, that's not really something that you want your child to have. Um, I would, if you are determined to have your child typed, I would wait till high school. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't mean that you can't see the first process. So my son is eight. Um, I am positive he uses introverted thinking as his first process. I don't know if he's going to be an ISTP or um, an INTP. He could even turn out to be an ENTP, ESTP. Mm -hmm. But at this point in time, introverted thinking is a very strong process for my son. Um, so you can see things like that. So if your child is showing a strong penchant towards extroverted intuition, so if they've got that strong curiosity, the worst thing you can do in the world as a parent is squish it. Don't do it. Like encouraging that creativity. And just because you're, this is something else, just because your child has that curiosity, that does not automatically mean that they're going to do well in school. Mm -hmm. That doesn't automatically mean that they should be gifted. That doesn't automatically mean that you don't have to keep on them about deadlines or all of those tangibles or that they are going to be natural, in, like natural inquiry does not merit success in the education system as it currently stands automatically because learning is learning and curiosity mm -hmm. is curiosity that could be about anything in the world that might not be about the subject that they need to pass right to get to the next grade and that's super important to recognize mm -hmm. that they may be very intelligent and they may be very curious and have books in front of them at all times and just want to consume information always but it might not be the information that's going to help them pass that class right it may not translate to the current education system so Yes, there are issues with the education system for that reason that has a set canon of knowledge they feel all humans should learn and we can stand on a soapbox and complain about it all day. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to practical applications of this information, if your child has that natural inquiry, you're probably going to have to understand that that means they may not do so well with concrete things. Mm -hmm. They may not do so well with deadlines. They may not do so well with um, actually turning in the paper that they spent three months researching and daydreaming about. Mm -hmm. They may not ever actually get to finish it. So as a parent, the best thing you can do is to provide that structure. If the education system isn't doing it for them, um, my brother is an INTP, so he has extroverted intuition, but like he was super brilliant, but he struggled really badly with actually turning in anything. Mm -hmm. Like he would kill the tests, get 100 on all of the tests, like abstract physics tests that absolutely blew my mind, but he would fail the class because he couldn't turn in homework. Right. And we can talk about the problems with that, but at the end of the day, if that's the reality, the best thing to do is beat the system, I think. Mm -hmm. So encouraging your child to access that TE a little bit. Yeah, to really provide that structure mm -hmm. for them if they can't. They have it in them. It's just, it's not going to organically come about for probably a few more years. Mm -hmm. And so if you just kind of push them a little bit, give them a little nudge and make sure that you're creating a structure too as a parent should be doing for their child anyways, then it's gonna help them a lot. And they can access it. Again, it's in their mm -hmm. it's in their sack. So for ENFPs as parents, if you have a child in the education system, so this is this is some of the struggles you may have. ENFPs as parents, I saw were a lot more inclined towards alternative methods of education than the other types, which is fantastic and fine and I believe that there should be lots of choice when it comes to educating your child. However, having said that, sometimes it is the idea of the thing versus the thing. Mm -hmm. So like sometimes what that translates into is not a whole lot of structure for your children. As an ENFP parent, if you are trying to lead them through their own alternative form of education or even in the main education system, it might be a little bit more challenging for you because deadlines and concrete things can be a little bit of a struggle for you. They don't have to be, but they tend to be. It is can be very difficult for you to lay those expectations out for your child. And also, because you have so much curiosity and a need to consume, it can also be kind of challenging at times to follow through on certain things for your child. So really understanding the importance of providing that structure and those guidelines for your child do you want to chime in with some personal experience yeah so I actually homeschool um so this is actually the perfect <laughs> topic yeah. um and the reason I homeschool I actually performed very well in public school I was a straight-a student I I had I was a great student and didn't bother me at all I enjoyed school I just disagree with the public 
school education system right now uh, for many reasons. But um, so we homeschool. One thing that I will say is that because you like to consume and you like to know all the things, that does not mean that everyone else in the world does. So it's very easy to overwhelm your children with a ton of information that they may not want to know. They may not need to connect the dots the way that you do, depending on how they process information. Um, that was something that I had to learn through experience. Actually, that was not something that just like that I just understood about myself. Again, had I known MBTI the way I know it now, when I first started looking at homeschool three or four years ago, it would be a little different. I would have been way more prepared, which is what we want for you all going mm -hmm. into this. Um, Another thing is, yes, you absolutely must look at yourself before you decide to do an alternative schooling because of those deadlines and because of that structure. Um, again, pulling on a little bit of personal experience, I have it just in my experience, I find that I have a very strong TE child. And so I can not that her child is TE. No, her child my function. child function. So sorry, my third function, my SAC, extra thinking, which is also yours if you're an ENFP. But I've had to really focus in on that because of many, many different reasons, because of experience, my career, all those things. Um, and so I enjoy and I I tend, I think that I am actually good at using my extroverted thinking. Um, so I know that I can be disciplined and I can have that structure, but I had to actually question myself first before I decided to pull my child out of a structure and into my home and made sure that I could actually provide that structure that I needed. And that was truly my biggest fear, knowing where my downfalls are, even with a strong TE, it is not my lead function. So I had to be very, very sure and really introspect and really spend some time on myself to make sure that I could provide that structure that is needed for children. On the flip side, my husband's an INFP, so he has extroverted intuition as his second function, as his parent function. Um, he has FI as his hero and extroverted thinking as his inferior. He is not as structured as I am when it came to homeschool. So again, it just depends on how, how you are, how you've developed, um, but truly just take a look at yourself first before you make a big decision like that because children do need structure. They do. And if you can't provide that as much as you want to, there's other alternative options out there. Private schools, um, uh, there's other alternative options, but just make sure that you're not doing it just because you think it would be fun or you think it's the right thing or you're against what is currently out there. Make sure that you're still able to provide what they need. Mm -hmm. That's really important. Um, so overall, overarching implications for the education system. So again, I don't want to, I swear to God, you could do like a drinking game of how many times I say again, like take a shot. Sorry. Anyways. You'll die. <laughs> You'll die. I say it so many times. Every time I say it, I'm like, God. So when you look at the education system as a whole, and we are looking at specifically this data set with ENFPs, one of the big takeaways was that metacognitive ability and how it presents in them. ENFPs spend a lot of time consuming information. They spend a lot of time thinking about new things and they jump from thing to thing to thing. There is also a performative aspect of an ENFP that I do not think is enough attention mm -hmm. when you look at what's currently available to ENFPs when they look at themselves in the education system. In addition, they've kind of got this reputation for being the bubbly, happy-go-lucky ones. And so whenever that deviates in the education system, I think that that comes down on them really negatively. So if they are having a rough time and they can't do what an adult, I mean, not all adults can do this, but they couldn't do what theoretically an adult could and take a few days off of work because they have to go to school, it can be really hard for an ENFP to continue to perform, perform, perform. And that's a very negative thing to put onto a child. So the education system as it currently stands, one of the best things to do is to have more ENFP teachers advocating for the ENFP students. Um, I do believe that the gifted program, if it exists at all, I don't necessarily agree with the gifted program, but if it does exist, it needs to be more nuanced mm -hmm. to specifically address the needs of the children because ENFPs still need emotional assistance. They still need that structure. They still need to learn how to do deadlines rather than bending over backwards to perform at something that they're not naturally good at, which mm -hmm. is a really big challenge. Um, and they shouldn't, pro they probably honestly should not be given a huge amount of freedom 
or a large amount of freedom, which is what sometimes happens in gifted programs. They're like, oh, you're super smart. You're good. You yeah, can do it on I'm your not going to help you. I'm mm-hmm. not going to give you extra assignments to challenge you. I'm just kind of, and I'm a teacher too. I get it. But like, I'm just, you should, they should not be just stuck in a corner to figure it out because they're the smart kids or the curious kids or the inquisitive ones who perform really well. They still need to be nurtured and to be challenged, which is a big thing that the education system does not do. They're still children. Mm-hmm. So all of this has been incredibly fulfilling and incredibly interesting. Mm-hmm. Super interesting. So please yeah. um, stick around for the rest of the 16 types. All of them will be released in the upcoming months. Go check out our channel because we have a thousand and one resources for all the 16 types, playlists for all the 16 types, and we go in depth explaining cognitive function usage. And this is not the end. The education was the first data set. The next data set, I am so wary of saying a date or a type, but we're just, no, it's just going to be 2021. 2021, (laughs) a new data set will be released and we will be doing another round of interviews, another data collection, um, because the whole point of this project was to talk about how MBTI could be used to positively affect the world. Because at the time, right now, it's really just Mm self-help and there's nothing wrong with self-help, but it could be so much bigger. It could be. It really could be. And we do both of those on this channel. Mm-hmm. We do offer the self-growth and the self-help and that self-love and all of that. But then there's also a completely different language that has been around mm-hmm. um, that is just not as widely known as, say, the love languages right. or the Enneagram or anything like that. Learning styles. Exactly. And so, um, again, just we have found this language to be incredibly helpful Mm -hmm. Uh, and education just so happened to be something that both of us are very passionate about on two completely different spectrums really and so um and actually this has brought us probably closer in the middle Mm -hmm. than ever before also there is the free type clarification so if you are unsure of your type in this middle ground where we aren't really collecting more people at this point you are still free to go ahead and message us and discuss your type Thanks for watching. Thank you.